concerned are you that this is becoming a trend now, the not being able to lock up the therapeutic? Well, it's, it's been like eight days. It's been like eight days, like that's the trend, eight days. I mean, the week before that, we won four in a row, got beads early, took care of them, took care of the game, played mature, uh, mature games against Anaheim and San Jose. We had a great game against the LA Kings. Like, that's like a week ago. So my concern within this little stretch, four games and whatever it's been, seven nights, uh, eight nights, uh, yeah, I'd like to be on the right side of it. but. We can only control what was in front of us here tonight. And the guys played a good hockey game. We will play that game over. Um, we're going to score four or five a lot of nights. Fan Morning Show, Sportsnet 590, The Fan. Ben Ennis, Brent Gunning. It's an old proverb. May you live in interesting times. I thought the I thought the old proverb was, whoo, angry today. I thought that was the old proverb because I'm feeling no. it in my bones. Mm. Felt it in my bones when I stepped outside and it was cold. Mm-hmm. Uh, various work-related grievances uh, have me angered. And then the Toronto Maple Leafs uh, lost a hockey game. So just like, it's just awesome. Like, it's just such... Everything's work-related so, grievances. Everything is just so good. Everything's everything's so great right now. So, work-related grievances. Yeah, maybe we've talked about this. You don't like talking to me before the show starts. And <laughs> I feel like we both keep getting in here progressively later and later. And I feel like it's you trying to avoid talking to me. That's all. But that's okay. That's neither here nor there. And then I stayed up late and the Leafs lost a game. And then I had to hear another rumor about a Pascal Siakam trade that, unless someone's going to break some news to me right now, has yet to happen. So, honestly, you know what? Good morning, Ben. How you doing today, bud? Uh, I'm doing better all right. than me, I think, is yeah. the answer to that question. Okay, so may you live in interesting times. <laughs> Actually, you know, it's it's an old proverb. It's also a curse. Yeah, um, oh, because interesting fitting, interesting times means you know troubling times, mm. uh, which we find ourselves now in Leafland as they have matched a season high four straight losses with uh, yesterday's regulation meltdown against the Edmonton Oilers, uh, blowing multi goal lead for the third time in four games, third straight game blowing a third period lead. Oilers, they've won 11 straight, gotten themselves off the mat. Here's the thing. Let, let, let's start with the, the overall positive before we get into the many negatives. Mm, you got one, eh? Good for you. I mean, that was spectacular oh, visual experience. Sure. Yeah. I mean, we thoroughly t- enjoyed the first, I don't know, 47 minutes of it and, and change. Yeah, it was great. No, I enjoyed the entire hockey game. Oh, okay. From a, a, an entertainment standpoint, from a, hey, I, I mentioned it was the most anticipated game of the Leafs season. Yesterday, it lived up to the hype. You had a couple of NHL superstars at the top of their powers uh, dominating various stretches of the hockey game. Yeah, it it awesome. stinks that we only get that thing twice a season because th- those two teams, I-, I I think anytime they step onto the ice for multiple reasons, whether mm-hmm. it be the, re- the relationship between Western and Eastern Canada, I mean, Toronto's not Eastern Canada, but you know what I mean. Uh, the Mecca S- sorry, that is... Sorry, real Eastern Canada, but it kind of is. Um the relationship between those two players that they know each other, that they're battling tooth and nail to, to be the best player in the NHL, all of it together. They provide spectacular hockey for 60 minutes or, or beyond if it is so required. That game was awesome. I had to, I had to go to the the greatest uh, tweet that we have as a hockey community uh, to describe that game. Uh, which somebody, I don't even know who this is on X, but they said it in 2014. Why watch overtime playoff hockey when you could simply do drugs and ride out of a motorcycle on a mm-hmm. helicopter? And that's basically how I did feel for the first 
two periods that game. And yes, you're right. Like exciting things happened in the third period. Just nothing good exciting as, as far as I'm concerned. But it was remarkable. I saw everybody clamoring and crying and I, I joined. I mean, I, I focused my complaining elsewhere, but I agreed with what everybody was saying. The idea of this shouldn't be just a nice little treat for us Leafs and Oilers fans that we get. This should be marquee, you know, Sunday night. I guess it'd be Wednesday night or Saturday night. But guess what? Even Saturday night, there's a lot of people in who are not be in those markets. They'd be watching a Habs game or they'd be watching a Canuck. Well, you know, don't tell the Canucks they have to play at 7 o'clock again. But you understand what I'm getting at here is that it doesn't always work that way in this sport. And those two seem to deliver. And I, you could say it, those two is Austin Matthews and Connor McDavid, but you could just say it as those two sweaters. They have delivered more or less every time the two teams have met up in this kind of Matthews McDavid era. So yeah, it's, it's a shame that we only get it twice a year. I think every neutral in the world would sign up uh, outside of, you know, like Gary Bettman and people in the NHL offices, they would sign up for that cup final in a heartbeat, and it's just a shame that that's it. Leafs now 13th in point percentage in the National Hockey League. They are a single, like all those games in hand, they're, they're, they're goodbye, mm. like wave goodbye. They have all game in hand now on the Detroit Red Wings, but just one game in hand, and yes, as I mentioned, one point ahead of the Detroit Red Wings. They are one point ahead of the Tampa Bay Lightning now with still two games in hand. Um I said, may you live in interesting times. This we we wondered about the job security of Sheldon Keefe going on to this trip, and mm-hmm. and how intense and how um, how critical picking up two points, not each and every game mm-hmm. on this trip, but yeah, how critical the results are on this trip as opposed to the process. Um, first foray into Western Canada, not so great in that regard. All right, so let's talk about. The 60 minutes of hockey. Because sure. what a start. Unbelievable yeah, start. I mean, you 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 couldn't have a better start. On his first oh. shift, Austin Matthews has a gaping cage, is set up by a, a great offensive zone uh pass mm-hmm. from, from Mitch Marner, and it's one nothing. And then like immediately thereafter, there's a post hit by Tyler Bertuzzi, mm-hmm. like inches away from being two nothing. They they didn't get Steamrolled after that. There's a bad goal allowed by Martin Jones on mm-hmm. a backhander by Leon Dreisidel, who, who obviously saw Jones leaning to his right and slides it through the left side. Mm-hmm. And the Leafs blow yet another third period. So we're we're gonna play some sound here. Mm-hmm. But let me let me spoil it for you. The Leafs aren't that discouraged by that performance, are you, Brent? I don't think you should be discouraged by the performance. I think you should be discouraged about the game once again evaporating away from you. But, the, you know, the game has evaporated from a lot of teams when they play Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl or Nuge or Hyman or, you know, pick your poison with that Oilers offense. So I don't think in a vacuum on that one-off night, you sit here and think you have a big problem with that game. But much like you see those guys go nuclear. And I suppose you could say you saw it from the Leafs on the very first shift of the game. It's like, you're just waiting for your moment, your pushback on the other side of things. And it just never really came late, late in that game. So I think that's kind of my prevailing sentiment is that if you look at this as a one-off snapshot, you can focus on a lot of good things that were done. But the prevailing thing I keep going back to is once again, the game just found a way to evaporate away from you. Through 40 minutes, this looked like two great teams just going at it back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Mm-hmm. And and like I said, it didn't feel like they got steamrolled. 
High danger shot attempts at 5-on-5 five five in the third period were 5 nothing in favor of the Edmonton Oilers. What I'm getting at there, the idea of they kept pushing, they kept pushing, they kept pushing, and, you know, I don't think the Leafs were sitting there on their hands, but they certainly were sitting there on their heels because the Oilers put them in that position, and we've seen the Leafs do that to as skilled and as dangerous a team as any. You know how I know? Because they've done it to this Oilers team. They've done it to the Avalanche. They've done it to Jack Hughes Devils. You know, whatever your team is that you think of as that group, the Leafs have proved they were able... They they, they have proven in the past that they've been able to do that. But last night in the third, no, not not even close. It was just the oil coming after wave after wave. All right. So this is the audio that people are going to be re- reacting to all day. Because mm-hmm. I, I went to bed immediately following uh, the final horn last night. I'm so jealous of you. Um, and I thought, okay, well, that was, that was an, an interesting game. It was, a, it was a great game from an entertainment standpoint. And, yes, uh, a narrative-fulfilling loss for the Maple Leafs who continue to blow leads. Um, discouraging on that front, but I didn't necessarily think that they got their, their hats handed it, uh, to them. Uh, I think, you know, this the way this team is built, they should probably be, be scoring more than two goals in a hockey game. And boy, some interesting pointless streaks for one guy who uh, still has another year left at $11 million and another guy who you know, had three points following his signing of a $92 million extension and then since then has been pointless in four straight. But anyways, that's besides the point. I woke up to the Mitch Marner quote, and I can't say that I was surprised, but yeah, I I, I did. I I felt like a a lack of uh, introspection here. Here's Mitch Marner after the game. What gives you encouragement that you guys can get back on the right track here after four losses? Because we're a great hockey team, and we got to ignore what everyone else says. We know we're a great hockey team. We show it every night. I mean, this last four games that we've had leads, we've played some awesome hockey, some great hockey. You know, like I just said, stuff goes your way sometimes, stuff doesn't. So for us, we just can't get frustrated at each other. We know we're doing the right things. We're talking a lot, um, communicating well on the ice, off the ice, and it's going to come. So stay patient with it. Don't let anything outside of us frustrate us or get us, you know, angry. Like, just got to do what we do. Do you feel frustration seeping in? No, but I think, you know, a lot of people on the outside are trying to do that. So that's how it goes. Um, For us, you know, we know we're doing right things. And, um, you know, again tonight, we did a lot of right things, did a lot of good things. that's why it sucks when it slips away like this. Brent, what what are the indications? Why are you doing that to him? That's so rude of you. Yeah, putting shambles in his brain. Uh, I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that. I, here's what shambles I'm Shambles in our brains. Yeah. I'm reacting to, to what I'm seeing. What? Where is the this, this stat? And we're now through more than half of the season. Mm-hmm. So, and there's not been extenuating circumstances. It's not like they've been without Austin Matthews for half the season or any oh. of the, the core four dudes that... This they team is predicated they on. They've not had any goalie they thought they were going to have. Uh, they sure, but it's not, you can't point to the goaltending. I mean, outside of Ilya Samsonov as being and the the record that Ilya Samsonov has, you can't point to that and and say that the goaltending's been the reason they don't have the record they wish they no, had. No, but if some team came in with a third line center who was playing above their head, we wouldn't go. Well, that's a third line center now. You just have, you can't talk about it as though they're overcoming something. Like that is still overcoming something. Sure. Okay. I mean, so, I didn't want to take that tact. Honestly, no, 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 no. That's a good point. All right. So they've overcome goaltending injuries. Issues. Yeah. Oh. Okay. Where Where is the indication that this is a great team? Okay. We're, we're now more than yep. halfway through the season. And yet, and Sheldon Keefe, we played the clip mm-hmm. off the top. Hey, it's just been a week of, of blown leads and, and losses. And before that, they, they won four straight, mm-hmm. two of which were against, you know, one of the worst teams in the history of the National Hockey League, San Jose Sharks. But so what? I mean... 
that you can only play who's on your schedule. Yep. Um, but yeah, we're, we're now through more than half of the season. Like I said, they're about midway through the pack as far as points percentage. Everyone's going to point to the, mm-hmm. the the regulation wins and the lack thereof. And now the regulation losses are piling up. They have the exact same number of each. What, where Where's the indication this is a great team? I don't think they're a great team. I think they're a pretty good one, and I think if you want to believe that they're great, you just look at the way they played against the other great teams in this league. I mean, we can go and point to all the good wins that they've had this year or the moral victories they've had against the Bruins or things along those lines, but it's the exact same thing we talked about heading into that Oilers game last night, that no matter how down we all were on the team at any given point in time, Oh, a good team is here. A team where they have like peers that these superstars respect. They're definitely going to show up. They might not win the game as we saw last night. The thing that I have to be honest, the thing that drives me nuts hearing that quote and, you know, I, we can parse the words and do it a million different ways. But the thing I hate about that quote is Marner talking about it the way I talk about it where it's something that happens to me. Like, I cannot believe that the Leafs keep losing these games. I can't believe it. It's just something that happens. Like, he's an innocent bystander in it all. And I don't think if you ask him, he thinks he's absolved of any criticism or anything along those lines. But go back and listen to that quote. It's a lot of, well, you know, we're a great team. These things. It's like something that happens to them that they have no effect or ability to change, and it drives me insane hearing it talked about that way. The idea of they're trying to put shambles in their brains. No, no, no. It, regardless of who put them in there, they're in there, and it's your brain. You figure out with the shambles. And this idea of constantly having to have this enemy of the media is trying to tear us down. Guess what, bud? Me and a lot of people who do this job would love nothing more than to come to the mic every day and have to do the most boring shows of all time because this team's 82-0 and 0 and we have nothing nothing to nitpick about. I personally would love nothing more than that. But guess what? Hasn't happened in my lifetime, not going to happen in my lifetime. And that is the thing that drives me nuts hearing about that. The idea of, oh, the media is out to get us. Or, no, you know what? You're out to get yourself. You've blown leads in however many games in a row now. And do I think it's a good team? Yes. Do I think Mitch Marner is an exceptional hockey player? Of course. But this idea that any criticism comes from a place of trying to tear him down. No. We're criticizing what we see in front of us. And guess what we've seen? Steam lose leads night after night after night. It's infuriating. I just wonder what the bar is. Like, what, is it, what, is he, what does he think the bar is? Because, yeah, you, okay, you can go, again, you can go back a week and there's four-game winning streak against some mediocre opponents. But, again, is on the road. It's in California. Not, not easy games necessarily. And, yeah, they had to put their best foot forward to, to win in overtime against the Anaheim Ducks as part of that. And it started with a win against a Kings team that has uh, fallen on hard times ever since, but blah, 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 blah. Um, yeah, okay, they, they hung in there. It kind of reminded me of the conversation we're having around the Toronto Raptors these days and the moral victories that exist around that team who are going through a period of transition. But even them, right? Like, even Emmanuel quickly is like, yeah, the moral victories are nice. Like, we actually want to get real victories that, that mm-hmm. appear on on the standings as opposed to just feeling nice that we hung in a 48-minute minute basketball game against Kawhi mm-hmm. Leonard and the Los Angeles Clippers. What's the bar here? Again, this is not a one-off game here. This is, you can talk about these four games. You can talk about the 40-plus games this season and the record that the Maple Leafs possess and the, the battle that they currently find themselves in for a playoff spot in the Eastern Conference. I mean, what part of that has been good enough. What what part of that leads you to believe that you've been 
a great hockey team and that the the results have been good enough because I don't see it. I don't, I'm not saying that they can't. They can't be here, and I'm not saying that there's not mitigating factors as far as the roster construction and the blue line and mm -hmm. overcoming Simon Benoit as the top four yep. defenseman, yada, yada, yada. I get it, but it hasn't been good enough. I, who's going to argue it's been good enough? Why is Mitch Marner saying it's been good enough? Because I think that he... I have long wondered if, you know, and I don't want to put this on the, I think it's Greg Harnden, the like ex-Navy SEAL or whatever he was, the high-performance sports coach they brought in. I don't want to put this on one guy, but it almost appears over the past... I don't think this was always the case with this score because guess what? When they lost against the Caps, everyone gave them orange slices and pat them on the butt and told them to go have a fun summer because they deserved it. And they did. But it almost feels as though they don't want to let any doubt creep in there. The idea of just vocalizing, mm -hmm. yeah, that was not a good third period. The, the idea of just vocalizing, mm -hmm. yes, we struggled out there tonight. It has to be so bad. It has to be your 7-1 shellacking at the hands of some also ran for there to be capitulate. I mean, John Tavares, you'll hear from every night, but you know, John, like we understand that the way John Tavares thinks and talks and speaks and all that is completely different from this core. That's the part that drives me nuts is there is no ability to, you know, maybe they think it internally and they just don't want to vocalize it, whatever it is, but there never seems to be a step to the mic of that wasn't good enough unless it was, so not good enough that yeah. everyone knows it's obvious. Like I go back to Devon Taves abs a couple weeks ago when, you know, they were struggling. It wasn't this, it wasn't blowing leads every single night and losing however many games in a row it's been now. And when he calls out his teammates saying there's a lot of guys in this room who think they're playing well and guess what? They're not now. I'm also not blind to the reality that Devon Taves gets to do that in front of the two reporters that are in the Avs room. Mm -hmm. And then Freege talks about it on the pod. And then I mention it three weeks later. It's a little different doing that than it would be if Mitch Marner. And I'm not, I don't want him to call anybody else. I don't want him mm -hmm. to call himself out, but you understand what I'm saying there. The idea of that's a championship org. That's the standard that they hold themselves to. And again, I'm not blind to the realities that it's different to do that in Colorado versus here. But have we ever heard that tact from the Leafs other than when it is full-blown disaster and panic mode? No, we no, never do. And I understand the other side of it, right? Like, you don't want to get down on yourself. You don't want to get frustrated. We don't need Jack Campbell here. There is a there is a middle ground somewhere, mm -hmm. though. Somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. God. Talking about you, you're, you know, this team being a great hockey team and playing some great hockey in the, in the midst of a four-game losing streak in which you've blown leads in all four of them. And three of the four multi-goal leads and in the third period, is it's it's a tough pill to swallow. It's, it doesn't matter, though, if the hockey turns around and, mm -hmm. and you end up salvaging the season and whatever. I mean, this the whole season will be judged by what they do in the postseason. But it is a window into the psyche of at least one player, right? Yep. Like, that's that's it. It's that, that guy's putting his heart on his sleeve. He's telling you exactly what you think. I don't think there's any couching of any emotions there. And I appreciate Mitch Marner's honesty because you don't get it from a lot of a lot of Leaf players. Like, he is the guy that every once in a while will say something that actually sounds genuine. That sounded genuine from the player. But I hope it's not. I hope it is performance speak. Because, again, I've never heard the intro. Uh, short of season is over. Short of it was so bad tonight. I hope that that is just performance speak. I hope that that is not truly unvarnish what he thinks about the, the group. Because if it is... Then, I, and I'm not even a believer of this. We've had this conversation a billion times. If that's, if I was Sheldon Keefe, 
hearing that post game last night, and hey, is it the exact words? No. Part of it's the tone. Part of it's messaging. If I was Sheldon Kefo to put a muzzle on him last night, oh my God, stop talking. You are, you're going to the mic and telling people that we think that this is good enough? And was last night some disaster performance? Well, Sheldon far, far Keefe from didn't it. necessarily disagree, though, right? But it's like, in tone. It's intact. It's We're a great hockey team. Mm. We're a great hockey team after you just blew a lead for the, well, what, fifth, sixth night in a row, but whatever it was. Let's, let's even, like, zoom out, though. Even zoom out beyond sure. the, the four games that they've they've lost consecutively, picking up just a single loser point among them, and that was the, the game on Long Island. Mm-hmm. Again, let's look at the season as a whole. Yep. 13th in point percentage, right? Like, hanging in mm-hmm. by a single point in the Eastern Conference playoffs. Like, this isn't a one-week thing. It's not a four-game thing this this team start to finish again. Like there could be some tweaks that are to be had and you can make excuses about mm-hmm. the personnel on the sure. back end, For but sure. okay. What part of that is due to something unforeseen? Like they got out of John Klingberg, thank goodness, but it's not like that's a guy that they miss on the back end. Well, this I is mean, the, this the GM is... would, the GM would beg to differ seeing as how is literally the first thing he did. So. <laughs> okay. But either way, yeah, that's, this is, this is the team that he constructed and here we are at at the worst point during a regular season, um, during the Austin Matthews tenure, going back to the David Ayers game in 1920 when they were trying to offer Tyson Berry to anybody who would offer anything for him and just had no you, takers. Just the way you said it made it sound like it was in 1920, not the 1920 season. That's why I had to chuckle. It's, uh, yeah, it was, that was now four years ago. But that that's that's... Honestly, that's where this season has me thinking about, you know, where are the parallels here? Because we've had, okay, this isn't even the first time we've had the Sheldon Keefe on the hot seat discussion, but those have come like stupid early in seasons, Mm -hmm. right? Like go back to last year in the California road trip and how things appeared to be on shaky ground in November. The last time I can remember something feeling like this and the Leafs playoff position feeling as perilous as it currently does is that 1920 mm-hmm. season where they were tied on points with the Columbus Blue Jackets for the final playoff spot in the Eastern Conference. And when the league shut down because mm-hmm. of COVID, came back and played the five games against the Blue Jackets, you can talk about them being favored in that thing. But it was a coin flip because they weren't that good. And Kyle Dubas recognized they weren't that good, so I didn't add to that team at the deadline. I mean, are we headed towards the same thing with Brad Living, who recognizes, holy cow, why why would I in, invest, you know, multiple future assets into this into this version of this Maple Leafs team considering they're pretty fair to Midland? Well, I think that I think that the thing and look, I can get as down on this team as anyone else. I think that the thing that has to be stated that sometimes we do kind of paper over here because it's been in existence for so long is that you go show me the other other middling team that has two, three, four of those poking around on them in a Morgan Riley, an Austin Matthews, a Mitch Marner, a William Nylander. We'll take Tavares out of the equation for now. Like I'm not pouring dirt on him, but like, that's okay. We'll take him out of the equation. And that is why you can't just look at it as, oh, this is, this is like a, this is like a, well, I was about to say hurricanes. It's like, they've been a good team in these for a while too. So actually maybe they're the perfect comparable. Ah, this is just one of these middling teams. No, they're not. Look at the high end star power that this group has. And guess what? So long as you paid those guys and you just doubled down on paying them even more, you owe it to them mm. to, I'm not, it's not a, oh, Minton and Cowan and the first and any draft pick that isn't nailed down should be out the door. But it goes back to everything I said yesterday, that if you feel that 
I'm not saying you have to go out and make a big, sexy, splashy trade. You at least owe it to them to fix the Klingberg mistake that you made. You do at least owe it to those four guys, the core four. And that's why I think we have to look at this as different than the 13th best team in the NHL. Cause you close your eyes and you tell yeah. me you look at most 13th best teams in the NHL. Do they have one of those guys? No, they have a Morgan Riley. Maybe sorry. No offense, Mo. I feel yeah. like a lot of teams kind of, maybe they have one guy like that, but sure. two, three, four, not a chance. Yeah, sure. And they can hang with the best teams in the NHL. I mean, that's, Part of what makes it all the more frustrating. A couple other things with this game. Poor Zach Hyman gets the goal taken off the board. That would have been maybe the the prettiest of his entire career. That's fine. And thank goodness uh, the review happened very quickly. It was pretty obvious offsides. But yeah, and and I know like Jordan being elite at his job might be best. It's like Sheldon Keefe. They ran the board. He was two for two this season. 16 of 17 Mm. in his career. Uh, they they hit the challenge again last night. Leafs are elite at yeah, goal challenges. They're very good. Hold all of your jokes out there about yeah, I would be too with the NHL in my back pocket. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's no there's no debate about no. It yesterday. Um, and Zach Hyman has certainly benefited from playing alongside the the best player in the NHL. You but, think? But also, like, yeah, I don't I don't remember I don't remember that type of skill when he was in Toronto. It must be said that. Yeah, okay, there is certainly and obviously, and Zach Hyman would put his hand up and and agree with this, that so much of the increased scoring that he has provided since he arrived in Edmonton has been a direct result of playing next to Connor McDavid. But yeah, that that guy's taking another step from a skill perspective. Yeah, he was always the best worker in in the league. He he worked so hard, he he got good hands. Like, it's remarkable to see. You definitely saw signs of it. You definitely saw flashes where he became a much more intelligent offensive player as he played alongside Matthews and other skill guys here. And guess what? You got to be a smart player to play with Connor McDavid because you have to operate uh, about a hundred percent faster than you're, you're normally want to just because of the way he, he plays the game. So you can't take a thing away from Hyman. I don't, you know, it's funny. You'll sometimes see old teammates and, Oh, it's nice that they're together. The, those guys all still love him. You mm. hear the quotes coming out of Toronto and, you know, throw away the Mitch Marner one because I don't think he's ever been asked about a person and not given the most glowing quote of all time. You all should put him down as a Unless reference. It's the media. Yeah, well, we're evil, but mm. all of you out there and any person elsewhere who's ever crossed paths with them, uh, nothing but glowing things to say. But yeah, it's awesome to see. It's awesome to see Hyman kind of thriving in this way. Nobody saw this coming, but I didn't, I didn't, I didn't think he was just going to fall off a cliff offensively. I mean, obviously McDavid helps, but I think if you would have seen him kind of anywhere else in the NHL, you wouldn't have mm. seen this. You wouldn't see a hundred no, points. No, but this but is it. Like I, I, yeah, he's, he spent some time next to Austin Matthews as a leaf and yeah. you were like, Oh, well that's great. What a worker be. What an incredible four checker, but not like, Oh, well, I mean, that guy's going to provide a ton of offense. And in fact, it was like the reason why you wanted him removed from, well, uh, Austin I mean, Matthews. They're definitely, wing. I, you know, not to relitigate things from five, six years ago, but there's definitely a subject or a segment of the fan base among those people. I, in the day that Austin Matthews scored four goals for the Leafs, I uttered to multiple uh, Leaf fan brethren, why can't Zach Hyman be Glenn Anderson scoring 500 goals? So I am not the guy uh, to say that that Hyman or that that I wanted Hyman off there. I thought he started to th- show the offensive mind later. And a thing with a player like that who has enough skill, obviously, to kind of fit in that spot, mm. it was always just going to be a measure matter of if the the head could kind of keep up with the hands. And it has one other thing from last night's game, and it kind of dovetails perfectly in Hyman there. I'm I'm just happy he's okay. Jake McCabe, oh my God, mm. what a hit. Absolutely mm. stapled him. 
love to see that from McCabe. Obviously, would like to see it more than, you know, once or twice. But I really do feel like he's done a better job of kind of picking his spots and allowing those bone-crushing hits to come to him as opposed to going out of his way to uh, to seek them. Pontus Holmberg, uh, top Sturdy line. man. Uh, top line winger is is obviously I, I think going to continue three mm-hmm. points in his last couple of games, including a couple of assists yesterday. Yep. It, it seems like it's I mean it's early days, but that that there seems to be a fit there. Yeah, there there does. It's interesting. I was thinking about the the way Keith rolled out his lines last night, and if that said anything about how much of the heat he's feeling. If it's just they're back on the road, but obviously Marner kind of back up with with Matthews. You saw how it was to start the game. Like, does that say anything to you? about how, how much of the hot seat, if any, Keefe is feeling. Because to me, if if he was feeling it, it wouldn't have been Pontus Holmberg up there. Like, I've liked what I've mm. seen out of the guy lately, too. But if you're telling me, hey, you We're better get a win, win or you got a hockey game, then I don't know that that's the guy I'm, I'm putting up in that spot. And again, I don't say that as a knock. I've really liked the player there. But do you read anything into the lineup decisions last night of Keefe feeling job security, or you think no, it's just how he would coach regardless? I, I think there's not a game that he coaches that he doesn't think primarily about picking up the two points, right? Like, the, and, and I think that's, if you had some criticisms towards him, it would be, hey, not this season, but like in previous seasons, you had quite a buffer mm-hmm. between you and the the line of demarcation between playoff teams and not. And, you know, maybe it would be more imperative for you to to try some things out and get some different looks and get some guys some some different reps in different spots to see if there are different options at play for you come the postseason. But no, th- this guy day in, day out, only cares about the two points haven't been coming uh, in the last four. Uh, lastly, yeah, I mentioned it. John Tavares, longest pointless streak as a Toronto Maple Leaf five mm-hmm. games <laughs> happens to be happening at the same time. William Nylander also riding a four-game pointless streak after picking up three points in the first game after signing the contract yep. uh, against the San Jose Sharks. And this is a guy that has he just hasn't put together consecutive pointless outings this mm-hmm. season. And just stand out that in mm-hmm. <laughs> four of the five games since signing the contract, he doesn't have a point because, of course, he doesn't. Hey, he rings the post That's yesterday. It, right? Like, I, okay, I know, but like, obviously. Yeah, of course. We It's the Leafs. <laughs> I don't know why we ever thought, like, he wasn't going to do that and keep doing what he's been doing. It's the Leafs. Uh, the Tavares thing, I'm not as worried as most. Like, has he taken a step back? Yes. Is he the $11 million guy who signed the contract? God, absolutely not. But this is, this is what these contracts look like at the tail end. The fact mm. that we're in the second to last year of it. And I think that it's not lost on me that we're having this conversation while Nylander's struggling. Tavares should not be a creation of anybody uh, still at this point in time, but we've done the parallel all year long of, oh, they're going to do the Tampa thing with him where he's a winger, but he's a center and he takes draws. And guess what you need? Guess what Stamkos needs? Another skill guy to play with on that line and not say Nylander isn't the answer there. I think he is, but it's not lost on me that Nylander's not going the way he was and we're sitting here having conversations about John Tavares. Go back to John Tavares' first season as a Leaf when he scored the 47 goals. Every time he scored a goal, we said, ah, that Mitch Marner setting him up. Look mm-hmm. at him. He's doing the Marner point. And guess what? He was. Marner was great that season. But that's how it's always been with Tavares in this market. He has been part of the reason that lines have been going, but he's needed one of those wingers to be yeah, a lead alongside a with him. He's not a driver. At this point in time, no. Mm. And lastly, for me, unless you have something else. Mm. Uh, Martin Jones is fine, except for the the, the one goal allowed. Uh, yeah, and that's, I mean, in a one-goal hockey game, I mean, empty netter, but this is a one-goal hockey game. It's, it's important to, to, to make all the saves, not to have the one stinker. Man, Stuart Skinner was great. 
I just really don't, good. Like, I, I know it's a cop-out to talk about hockey games this way, but, man, goaltending. Yeah, flip the goalie is what happens. So probably a different result, right? Yeah. yeah. And and you can't complain if you're the Leafs because, like, Martin Jones isn't even supposed to be here today, mm-hmm. okay? But that's, yeah, it's hard not to talk about goaltending being at least a part of the difference between those two think. hockey teams yesterday. You think? Yeah. Yeah, for sure it is. It's just, it it continues to, we go back to it all the time, talking about roster construction with this team. And, you know, we can sit here and quibble about how good the core four and Tavares are on, on any given night. Yeah, sure. We have all those conversations, but did you get some saves? And what's the blue line looking like? And guess what? I keep going back to the $4.1 million that was spent on the very first day of free agency. That has yet to been replaced that you're going, no, it's okay. We have Simone Benoit, actually. We, mm. So we don't need to do anything. And I love Simone Benoit, what he's brung to this team. But in the top four, mm. really? Mm. What are we doing here? Mm. All right. Uh, the Toronto International Boat Show is returning to the Anarchare Center at Exhibition Place January 19th to the 28th. Giving away tickets to the event and ballots for a chance to win their grand prize, a Prince Craft fishing boat with a Mercury engine and trailer. We also have our own VIP prize, which includes dinner for two, a $100 shopping spree at the show, and an overnight stay at the Weston Harbor Castle. Just listen for the code words on our show today till January 19th, then text the code word to 59590. You'll be entered for a chance to win. Today's code word is boating life. We have another code word tomorrow, so be sure to tune in. When we come back, all right, Pascal Siakam, is he headed to Indiana? A new report indicating that that might be imminent. We'll talk about that and more next. As the Fan Morning Show continues, Ben Annis, Brent Gunning, Sportsnet 590, The Fan. Big guests and bigger opinions on everything happening in Leafsland. Real Kipper and Born. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Indiana has been among the teams the Raptors have been engaged with actively for a while now. So the fact that maybe this is ramping up, it's interesting. It could mean we're getting close on something or it could be maybe just a signal to the market to, you know, get your best offers in. So uh, I do get a sense just talking to some people around it that nothing seems to be imminent. That can all change in a heartbeat, obviously. You know, this is just, you know, where this has been now for a couple of weeks. And if this doesn't go down, probably will for a few weeks longer. I mean, Pascal Siakam is the number one player that's kind of viewed as widely available in the market. And, um, you know, until he's actually traded, we're going to be hearing this stuff uh, regularly. Ben Morning Show, Sportsnet 590, the fan, Ben Ennis, Brent Gunning. That was Sportsnet's own Michael Grange yesterday. So he's reacting to a Shams Charania report from The Athletic that says the Raptors and Pacers engaged in Pascal Siakam trade conversations. Now the package that has been discussed Includes Bruce Brown Jr., who's under contract. Uh, he's got a team option next year for north of $20 million. Other salaries and three first-round picks. Um, the Raptors play the Miami Heat tonight. The, the trade deadline not until next month. Yes. But what was your initial reaction when you saw this report? All right, here we go. That's traction. Uh, we've been hearing nebulous reports of talking or a lack of interest of signing, uh, just a kind of stasis. I was excited when I saw a report. This is some gasoline on the fire. I have been talking about wanting this trade to come to fruition. And hey, like, I might not like it. It's entirely possible a trade for Pascal Siakam comes. And I say, oh, that's not the best 
trade. I think it ultimately is the best course of action of uh, of action for the Raptors, but I don't necessarily think there's a it's going to be a slam dunk. But yeah, I'd be lying to you if I wasn't a little excited when I saw that that ooh, there's finally some movement on this. Yeah, that's what it indicates to me is that there is no okay. We bandied about hey, I mean, does it make sense if you don't get your price? in trade to re-sign the player revisit this at next year's trade deadline and how disappointing that felt considering the conversations we've had the the previous couple of trade deadlines mm-hmm. surrounding og ananobi and pascal siakam this to me indicates that okay maybe it's not an overwhelming package you're getting for pascal siakam and bruce brown like he serves a purpose he's kind of like a poor man's og right he's three inches shorter yep he shoots a three a little bit less or a little bit worse yeah, than, than OG and an OB. But okay. And he's 27. Champion. So he, he, yeah, he, he does, didn't quite fit the timeline of the core, but he's a guy, right? Mm-hmm. And he's he doesn't have an exorbitant contract, but if you want to bring him back next year, you can do that too yep. at a reasonable rate at, at what did I say? 22. Yeah, club option. Yeah, $23 million for, for next season. There's other ancillary pieces, <laughs> right? Like he's not going to be the only guy and there could be other good pieces coming your way. But like I said yesterday, you're not going to be better after this trade, nope. but at least you're going to be making it. That's where I land on this thing because the nightmare scenario is that we have to continue having these conversations going into next season when when every fan of the Raptors is ready to move on and have mentally moved on into the, this is Scotty Barnes's team and, mm-hmm. and him and Emmanuel quickly running the pick and roll and RJ Barrett maybe resurrecting his his career mm-hmm. to a degree, not that it was dead or anything, no. but like being a more valuable asset than the one that was maybe a, a neutral one considering his contract. And then there's Pascal Siakam, who's good, like mm-hmm. very, very good, like very good, but yep. older than those guys and not somebody you're going to hand a max contract to if you don't intend on winning a championship. Like we're, we're beyond that, right? Like we're, we're this to me indicates with a, one, a 100% certainty then you're going to move off the player. Because mm-hmm. if this is the worst deal that is offered to you, mm-hmm. it's it's cromulent. That's a cromulent deal. Three first-round picks for Pascal Siakam. Like you, you wish you could do better. You wish yep. you had foundational pieces like you got in the OG Ananobi trade. But you don't feel like a total loser if that's what you're getting for Pascal Siakam. No, you you don't. And I think the other part of this as well is, you know, like not that you can exactly pick, which I mean, you you literally have the ability. Masai Ujiri and Bobby Webster can choose to make or not make a deal with the team. But, you know, the Pacers, I expect them to be good throughout the life of the Pascal Siakam contract. I really like Tyrese Halliburton, but it's far from a absolute certainty that that pick is 25 to 31 or 30, whatever it is in the NBA on any given year. Like you can see the down year where that's a late lotto pick or a kind of fringy 16, 17, something like that. And who knows what protections are on it? Well, that's the, that's the other part of it as well. The thing is, it's not so much, you know, we've done the addition by subtraction and that's unfair to, to Pascal Siakam. I don't think it's that, but it is, clearing of the way for this team to become what it's going to become. So long as Pascal Siakam is here and we're in this mushy middle land where you're trying to work in these new pieces of quickly and Barrett and you want Scotty Barnes to grow. It's hard to do all that with Pascal Siakam around. And I don't mean that as he's some malcontent or he's demanding more of the ball and he's trying to ice these guys out. That's not what's happening here. 
there's just only so much ball in the NBA and you really need those guys to become what it is, whatever it is they're going to become. And you need to figure out what that is so that let's say this does come together a little quicker than it looks like it might that you can use those first round picks to get your ancillary piece yeah. to get your, you know, well, fourth best player, whatever it is. It's not necessarily that they take these picks and all of a sudden, okay, you add a rotation player for three straight years or, uh, you know, you're at your end of the bench G league guy for three straight years. No, I think they probably use some of that capital. If this works out the way it's supposed to, mm-hmm. to improve the roster around quickly Barrett and Barnes. Now the ancillary pieces could be imp- like, I just I said, hey, they're they're not getting their manual quickly in this deal. I mean, they might be. I mean, it's, it's, possible. It's, it's possible. I mean, the the contracts do work if it's Bruce Brown and Benedict Matherin, mm-hmm. who's a six overall selection. Yeah. He's also the third leading scorer on a Pacers team that expects to be in the Wouldn't playoffs. Your breath on that. So one. that's it also like, work if it's T.J. McConnell. Yeah. So, you know, just <laughs> right. careful with that. I mean, the other Canadian, Andrew Nemhard, he's he's coming off the bench and sure. and a backup point guard role. Um, that could be an interesting little addition. Who knows? what the ancillary pieces around Bruce Brown are. Bruce Brown's a good player. Again, mm-hmm. for for a team that's, I mean, say for the last game of the, against the Boston Celtics, since the trade has been consummated, has struggled defensively, um, could use a guy that sure. s- specializes in perimeter defense and can hit you a three. Um, well, and even even if you, not that, you're, not that you can't have both, but it's like if that, if that just allows you to make the Gary Trench <laughs> trade that we've also been talking about for the better part of the right. two, three years. Like, I don't think, this is not to say they can't coexist. You want more than one good wing coming off the bench. I understand that, but that scouting report to a lot of people, I'd imagine, sounds like Gary Trent Jr. with, with defense, mm-hmm. and I think that that's something. And that well, it doesn't shoot the three as well as Gary not Trent quite Jr. as well. No. no, well, but that, but but he's been so streaky, and I know it's like part of it is a three point shooting thing, but it feels like he has either been elite, 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 or yeah. What's the point of having him out there? Yeah. So this is not new for Pascal Siakam. They went into a game in uh, Sacramento not that long ago about hey. Raptors and Kings engaged in serious Pascal Siakam discussions, and like five minutes later, uh, Sham Sharania said, "No, nah, it's off." No. Uh, and this has been a growing narrative around Pascal Siakam, of course, going into the final year of his contract, uh, whether he would be dealt, whether he would be handed a contract extension. So I, I, I don't necessarily think it's going to impact his mentality. No. You know, this is, this is something he's been dealing with. Uh, to give you an indication of, of how he feels on the matter, though, hmm. his agent... Uh, this is interesting. Uh, on Twitter, um, for, for those of you who... Don't know that this is a reality. When you like something on Twitter, we can see that. Like, there's a way to 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 see the tweets that you like. And at as of last night, mm-hmm. they haven't been unliked. So his agent liked a bunch of tweets from Raptors fans responding specifically to a Vivek Jacob tweet about Masai Ujiri's indirect criticism towards Pascal Siakam starting this summer. This is one of the tweets that that he liked. Again, this is Pascal Siakam's agent and, and his social media interactions. Since the summer, since the start of the pandemic, you mean, berating him for not breaking the law and training in a lockdown and then not shielding him from criticism post the bubble was the start of the disrespect. I continue. A- another response from that same tweet sent out by Vivek Jacob. No one in the media can put Masai on the spot and ask that direct question. Pascal, of all the people, is not a player who is selfish. So whatever happened behind closed doors really is messing up Pascal. I don't blame Pascal for signing anywhere else next season. I say do it. 
And then another tweet, this one not in response to the Vivek Jacob tweet. I got the impression that Masai was upset Siakam didn't come to Summer League to welcome the new guys, and perhaps that's why the selfish uh, he was referring to. That was the selfish he was referring to. But they were actively trying to trade him at the time, so I don't blame him. Okay, so we we wondered how much of the Mm -hmm. lack of a, a contract extension... And 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 perhaps some of the play stemmed from off-court issues yeah. and a relationship issue. It is just this is we're, we're this is a third party, yeah. and we're talking about tweets liked on on X. Yeah, no, it's fun. Um, but that's that's not nothing. We can't say that that's nothing. No, no, no. In the uh, in the is this something or nothing? It's definitely something. That's obviously a little bit of an insight into how the camp feels. And you know, I I've said what I've said about Pascal Siakam a million times, but uh, if I'm looking at it from their camp's perspective, I can understand how he feels that way to a certain extent. You know, this is the last remaining piece that matters of a championship team. You know, I know Bobby Webster and Masai Ujiri would say, oh, we're still here. We mm. still matter. You know what we mean? We're talking about the guys on the court. He was a key cog in the, those runs, much like everybody. He had times in the run where it wasn't going as perfectly as you would like. But guess what? Fred Van Vliet just had those early on instead of at the end. So we don't ever think about them because he turned it on when it matters. So I think that that's the thing with Siakam is he always has kind of occupied a weird space in this franchise since the kind of Lowry exodus of it's been this kind of do we want to hang on? Do we want to have any connection to it? Or do we want almost a, a clean break? And, you know, it seems so much easier to have the clean break with everyone else just because of ages or trade value. And with Siakam, it's just been this kind of thing that's dangled for the better part of two years and three years, really. And I can understand why there's frustration from the player, for sure. This indicates to me that it's worse than I thought. Like, I, I did, I just viewed a player that, okay, wanted team success, but yep. was thinking about individual success and being an all NBA type player and maximizing his value and getting a max contract. And, and he's already one of the great developmental success stories, not just in Raptors history, league. history in, in league history, going from where he was selected in, in the tail end of the first yep. round to a guy that, yeah, you can have a legitimate conversation about being a max contract guy. I just thought it was, Hey, Okay, maybe he's looking for his own offense a little bit too much, but also, like, look at the supporting cast. What other choice does he have? Like, would you rather pass off to Malachi Flynn or would you rather take a shot in isolation? And I think he chose the right tact, at least last season. Things mm-hmm. changed when they acquired more good players this year in the OG Ananobi trade. To me, this indicates, like, yeah, something really... <sighs> serious is happening between he and Masai Ujiri that there's a real butting of heads that there is a real disconnect there and like I don't honestly to me it just seems like a guy who is and we've had this conversation so much with Siakam is he is you know pick your pick your spot he's the 20th he's the 26th he's the 17th whatever best player in the NBA and he goes okay there's there's only if you just divided the talent up evenly there are teams in this league that would die for me to be their best player, and I am the best player on this team. Again, this is how he thinks. I don't necessarily believe it. I can understand where he's coming from and saying, hold on, hold on. I am a, I've been a fringy all-NBA guy here, and I can't get a max contract from a team that has no... And again, like, you know, Barnes had proven rookie of the year, but go look at what his year looked like last year. Mm. I can understand why the friction's there from, from his standpoint, but I also agree with the tack the Raptors are taking, going, we've seen what it looks like when you're the best player on a team, and guess what? Not interested. 
I let me just take you back to, and I know nobody wants to do this mentally. <laughs> back to the bubble in 2020. I told you I'm the only person who liked it. <laughs> You're a psycho, uh, psychopath. Uh, this is the season immediately following the championship, in which so many, you know, pundits predicted the Raptors would be one of the worst teams in the NBA, be outside of the playoffs at the very least. And you know, when things were shut down, they were having an unbelievable regular season they were 53 and 19 through 72 games what a fun season it was and then yeah everything got shut down and and pascal siakam specifically didn't touch a basketball for like a couple of months and they got the little tune-up uh postseason series against the the nets without kyrie irving they pounded those guys into sand and then Against the Boston Celtics, and we all remember OG Ananobi with what point three on the clock. Yeah. What an inc- extending it to a Got seventh game pass. Yeah, um, Pascal Siakam was so bad in that series, he was unplayable. Like there, and it, it still went seven games. Yep. But Pascal Siakam was so bad in that series, you were like, oh my god, is this guy broken forever? And it, it seems clear, and the the seasons followed would indicate this that yeah, the guy got screwed up by the pandemic and Mm -hmm. not being able to train for multiple months that the possibility exists that Masai Ujiri didn't shield him enough from criticism during, during that time, that that's still something that's festering in this guy's mind. I mean, that's something I hadn't thought about like basically since the pandemic. And part of that is like me shutting off the part of my brain that has any memories of those couple of years. But I, I, and again, it's just a liking of a tweet. And and maybe just like retweets, likings is not implicit endorsement of right. said tweets. It's true. I mean, it's called a like. Mm-hmm. Like he likes that tweet. That somebody said, hey, yep. this thing goes all the way back to the bubble and Musai Ujiri not coming to the defense of, uh, of one of his best players who was going through a rough time and was the subject of lots of scorn. I, I think it's, this thing feels multi-layered. Yeah, it certainly it certainly is, and I'd be lying if I didn't have some parallels from the Leafs conversation we had earlier on of needing to protect people or putting them out there. You know, I I, I have a hard time doing the whiplash from earlier of uh, you know these guys need some more tough love. To yeah, Masai Jiri gave somebody some tough love. He wasn't performing, and now he's in a contract negotiation with a player. And I don't think Masai Ujiri needed to take to the podium or take to the mic to say. Y'all need to be kinder to Pascal. It was a bad playoff series, and that's okay. Everybody has those. No, mm. that's not okay. No, not everybody has those. This is the guy who was swearing in public because he was mad at Paul Pierce. Like, we're not going to see a change of tact from this person. You know, you only become kind of more who you are as you age in life, and I don't say that as a knock. These are all the things we love about Masai Ujiri. It's all the things you hear occasionally from other executives. Oh, he's really difficult to negotiate with, or he can be a, a hard person to to, you know, work with on trades at times. I imagine it's the same way when you're not performing in the basketball organization that he runs. So I I can understand somebody who is so in the tank for Siakam, like, you know, him or his agent having that mindset. Mm. But I got no problem with the way Ujiri handed it, handled any of this. I have problems with the lack of a trade at various different times. Mm. And, you know, easy for me to say when I don't know what offers are out there. And maybe him biding his time mm. gets him the best offer possible. So outside of that, I have no issue with the way Ujiri's handled it's this. It's just going to be a very unceremonious departure for a guy that was a key cog. To, to that championship team. They've kind of all been that way, right? Like Kyle, like the, the pandemic nature of the timeline made it weird with, with Lowry Van Vliet just leaving for nothing and the ornery end. And, you know, I have no problem with that. I love Fred because he was ornery. Mm. But now this, 
And obviously Kawhi just leaving on his own right when we chase him around town, wondering where he was on any any given moment. It's and it's remarkable that that thing got to, like torn down in the way it did, and it all kind of seemed unceremonious. Well, enjoy the final days and games of Pascal Siakam in a Raptors uniform because it feels like this is, if not Im- imminent, certainly going to happen before the deadline. Uh, Raptors and Heat tonight. All right, when we come back, Leafs have lost four straight. They've blown leads in all of them. What kind of response do we get? Tomorrow in Calgary. That and more next as the Fan Morning Show continues. Ben Ennis, Brent Gunning, Sportsnet 590, The Fan.